From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and it's been a whirlwind week for us in budget land, so we have a lot to talk about, which is why Peter Cohn is joining us again, the budget and tax policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being back, Pete. Thanks for having me, David. And so let's start with probably the biggest budget news of the week, which was this big push now to increase defense spending way beyond what President Biden wants or requested. Uh, We saw in the Senate Armed Services Committee this move to pump up defense by over 5% more than what Biden wanted. This is the first sort of opening salvo, I think, certainly backed by Republicans, to push up defense a lot more. This is the same fight they had last year, Pete. Where, where is this heading now? Yeah, this, this is really interesting because the House Appropriations Committee run by the Democrats has just started putting their bills out for fiscal 2023. And on the defense side, they're already, you know, you, you can see they're kind of, they're, they're doing basically what they tried to do last year with what really with all the bills they are coming in at what is close to the Biden budget levels, writ large, kind of, you know, for the big categories, defense and non-defense. Just like last year coming in a little bit above Biden on defense with a lot of that, of that going to military construction and housing for military families, that increases and some changes here and there in the mix of defense spending. Um, a little bit more here, a little bit less there and so forth. But, you know, they're trying to basically adhere to the Biden, the big themes of the Biden budget request, Okay. So this just this happened last year too, and then a few months go by, and then the armed services process, the, the the annual defense authorization bill, which, as many of our listeners know, authorization bills kind of come and go around Congress. They're not really you don't really have to do them every year, but the defense authorization bill is the one that gets done every year, and people take it very seriously. They look to the armed services committees for a lot of guidance. And the Appropriations Committee actually takes what the authorizers on armed services says uh, say very seriously, which is you know kind of unlike a lot of other committees. So anyway, long story short, last year it took them several months for the armed services process to get to get going, and then you saw bipartisan fashion, big bipartisan vote, only just a couple of no votes on the Democratic side in Senate Armed Services. They came out with this big number that was substantially above the Biden request for defense. And boom, you knew just right then and there that the Biden budget levels in the appropriations process were just simply not going to happen. You know, it was far fetched to begin with because of the 60 vote hurdle in the Senate. But anyway, you knew right then with the Senate Armed Services action that the Biden budget was not going to happen in the form that, that it came to Congress on. So anyway, here we are now. The House appropriations process just got going this past week, and as soon as they're out of the gate, Senate Armed Services process didn't wait. They got going right as this process was was starting to to, to get moving in the House. Senate Armed Services come out comes out with their bill, forty four billion dollars above the Biden request, seventy five billion above the current fiscal year. The bills that just got done in March. That's ten percent if you don't count the Ukraine supplementals which we can talk about in a minute, but it's sort of, it's exactly a replay of last year, only there was no time wasted. The Senate Armed Services Committee said, here, here we go. Here's our marker, you know, and it just sort of really 
undercut the de- the House Democrats and the Biden administration's budgetary position, you know, going into the appropriations talks, which they're stalled out basically because of the same fight. What do we give defense and what do we give non-defense? And then here's Senate Armed Services, 23 to 3 vote in committee. That's a pretty big statement that those numbers are going to have to shift a lot more favorably toward defense and, uh, and the non-defense side is going to have to come down. Just as the same thing ha- happened last year, only it didn't happen until about five months after the fiscal year had already ended. So, you know, right now we have the signal of what basically has to happen. But the question is, how long is it going to take for the Democrats to agree to come to the table on that? This certainly gives Republicans a lot more ammunition to to push their case for higher defense spending. Also, you got to remember that this is happening as the House Appropriations Committee has has only rolled out about half of their bills. Okay, so they still have they haven't even put out they haven't even shown the public what the entire set of allocations is going to be for all the federal agencies. That's coming next week. Okay, none of the bills have even come to the floor yet. So. the process has barely gotten off the ground in the house with the appropriators. Right. And, and, you know, and to be fair, they're doing what the the house armed services committee basically has endorsed, which is more, much more aligned with the Biden request and what they're trying to do in the appropriations bills in the house. So, you know, they're two independent bodies, the house and the Senate, they have minds of their own. And so the house is doing their thing. The Senate is doing their thing, but you just know that because of the 60 vote hurdle, that things are going to have to look a lot more like what the Senate is, is putting out at the end of the day. So, but my, to get back to my, that original point, the house now is, has got to run, th- they've got to play out the string. You know, they can't just change in midstream and say, Oh no, okay, we're going to scrap those funding levels that we've already written and come up with a whole new set of allocations. They're moving ahead at what they've, they've been planning to do. And so you're going to see those bills continue to come out of committee and go to the House floor at funding levels that you basically know are going to have to get scrapped later on in the year or maybe even next year if they end up in a, in a big continuing resolution. Right. And the House and Senate are clearly on two different paths here because the House is under majority control of Democrats and the Senate is really 50-50 evenly split and have to work in a more bipartisan way. And that's where you see the tension. But on the other hand, this Senate Armed Services 23 to 3 vote, that's a pretty strong bipartisan show of support for this higher defense level, which shows the direction this is going, as you point out, Pete, just like last year, Democrats are going to have to cave and pump up defense more than they want to, uh, to get a deal together. Again, you know, the really interesting thing is how quickly this happened in, in the Senate. Now, you know, this is the time of year they're supposed to be doing the NDAA, the defense authorization bill. But last year, that process didn't happened until later. By then, most of the bills had gotten not only through the House Appropriations Committee, but uh, but they passed out of the House. So the House had gotten through all of the bills and they didn't really, you know, there was no reason for moderate House mem- Democrats, for instance, to say that, well, these, these, you know, funding levels are not going anywhere really at that point. I mean, you, you might have been able to imagine that given the 60 vote threshold in, in the Senate. But you didn't have this big, meaty example of a manifest. Here you have it on paper. The Senate is on paper already with these funding levels that are completely different from the Biden budget request. So if you're a moderate 
in the House and you're thinking, all right, I know this bill that the House leadership is going to make me vote on is probably going to get totally rewritten now. You know, does that give you a little bit more pause? If you know, if you're asked to be to vote on this in the House now, maybe because of all the earmarks in there, they're going to vote for it anyway. But it's different this year than it was last year because last year you didn't have this major bipartisan statement coming out of the Senate so quickly. Last year, the Senate didn't act this quickly to essentially cut the legs out from the House Democrats' budget proposals. Okay, They've, they they came right out of the gate and said, Jim Inhofe, the ranking member on Senate Armed Services Committee, offered an amendment, but it was accepted by, I think, 25 of the 26 members on, on Senate Armed Services, I believe. Okay, So that happened right... The House Democrats haven't even finished introducing their spending bills yet. They've only come out with about five of them out of the 12. So what I'm saying is now you have a, a massive concrete example of just how unrealistic the House spending bills are at this point, which sure. you didn't have until much later on in the process last year. Now, you kind of knew. I think you knew, I think you knew anyway, but. You, you kind of knew, but yeah. But you know what but, I mean? But like, I take you your have, point. They have it yeah. on paper now. And so if it was in doubt before, it's certainly not in doubt now. Uh, yeah. And we should say Republicans also have do have this case on the merits to increase defense spending because, first of all, we've got the war in Ukraine going on where we're sending all kinds of weapons to Ukraine and those stocks have to be replenished here at home. That takes more money. And then the biggest factor, of course, is inflation, which is probably the most powerful GOP argument they have which is that the Biden defense increase really amounts to a cut when you account for the soaring inflation rate we have of over 8%. That's sort of a compelling argument, I think, to say, we're not even keeping up with inflation right now, guys. So don't we need more money for this? Yeah. So if you look at the, if you look at the comparison with you, if you add the Ukraine supplemental, so for the Department of Defense, they've gotten Thirty-four billion total out of the fifty-four billion for uh, that you, that Congress has passed in, uh, in in terms of Ukraine emergency aid. So if you add that to the base budget for defense and and other uh, defense-related agencies and and even j- just in the Pentagon, what the Senate Armed Services Committee did yesterday is about five percent above the current fiscal year, even after you include all of the uh, all of the supplementals. Okay, so that's five percent. So you you think to yourself. Five uh, percent is still is still pretty big, uh, pretty big. You know that's that's a hefty increase in nor- in a normal year, but you know a- as you said this year, inflation right now is running over eight percent. So Republicans can you know argue that we're we're not even keeping pace with inflation as it is. Now it's fair to say that inflation is going to come down over time. I think what the Federal Reserve is doing, and many economists will tell you, and you know you look at. Consumers already starting to to you know to kind of retrench when it comes to their spending, uh, and interest rates going up. I mean, mortgage more thirty rate on thirty year fixed mortgage is approaching six percent. So that's going to cool down a lot of the activity uh, out there in the economy. And I think you know most economists will tell you inflation is going to come down. Um, and you know the White House says it's going to come down to two and a half percent next for the next fiscal year. Now is it going to come down that low? Probably not. I don't but, think anyone you know, could, buys that figure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and the administration themselves, I think, have said that that was an outdated figure they had to use to get their budget done on time. Yeah. Now, could, you know, could it settle down around four or five percent by the end of you know next September? It could. So, in that case, a five percent increase for defense, uh, 
this year might start to look more, you know, you know, like right. It's in kind of right in the strike zone. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but this is clearly, and it's also, also the other thing to remember, keep in mind is last year, the, the appropriators, when they made the final agreement, it, you know, took five months after the end of fiscal year. So they get to March and they finally cut the deal, but they actually came in above the Senate armed services number. So they were, you know, the Senate Armed Services added last year. They added twenty-five billion to the Biden request. They added another another five billion, just you know, just for the hell of it, <laughs> almost <laughs> right at the end of the day. So this year, now Senate Armed Services is at forty-four billion above the Biden request. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see to see that final number go. It maybe even a little bit higher. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But you know, and then of course the Republicans. You got to, you know, the other big thing is of course the election and. You know what is what is the incentive at this point for the Republicans to come to the table and make a deal um, now, knowing that they're probably going to have one or both chambers under their control starting next year? So you know that's the other thing here is that are we just in a giant hurry up and wait situation with the appropriations process? That's a good way to put it because it probably is hurry up and wait. And just to remind folks of why it's going to be a struggle up through the election is because. Biden proposed a roughly 4% increase for defense and about a 14% increase for non-defense spending. Republicans don't like that kind of ratio. They want a much more even even increases for both sides, which has always been their formula here. And they feel in a strong position not to cave on that. And so with the elections coming up, don't they just wait it out? Uh, we'll see what happens. We should say, Pete, now, but the House Democrats are are racing ahead in their hurry up and wait plan here. They've now done six of their 12 annual bills through subcommittee in appropriations. We're going to see them at the full committee this month. By the end of this month, they hope to do all 12 bills out of full committee. And it's kind of like last year, dare we say it again, but there's really no no bipartisan support behind these bills. Republicans let these bills fly through these subcommittees, we should say, just on unrecorded voice votes this week, and they'll probably do the same this coming week, just to sort of advance them, advance the process and get it in full committee. But I think what we're going to see in the full committee markups are big partisan fights over most of these bills, both because of the spending levels that Republicans don't like and because of all these policy provisions, these riders that tag along on the bills on abortion policy and and the prison at Guantanamo Bay and no money for a border wall, all these things. We're in for another set of huge fights for these House bills that are, are going to be in, in sad shape, I think, by the time they can, they can ram them through on the House floor in party line votes in July, and then the process grinds to that halt again. Yeah. And if you're the Republicans, you're looking at the Senate Armed Services Committee yesterday, 23 to 3 bipartisan vote. Right. And that's a, a big, giant you know, spanking new talking point for them next week when you start the full committee markups, they're going to say, well, you know, guys, what are we doing here? <laughs> these bills, you know, these bills are going to have to be entirely rewritten. We shouldn't even be talking about them. We should be sitting down negotiating a bipartisan package. They're going to say, we're just wasting time just by looking at the Senate Armed Services vote yesterday. Which is what they seem to say every year, Pete, and it never happens. You know, the budget for the current fiscal year came six months late uh, it wasn't done until just March of this calendar year. And then as soon as that finished, the congressional, the top appropriators all said, oh, we're going to make things different this year. We're going to start talking immediately. 
and get a bipartisan deal on spending limits done so we can get this done. And of course, here we are, and it seems stalled yet again in terms of a bipartisan deal, any, any sort of talks. They're, they're talking sporadically, but there's, there's, it sounds like they're getting nowhere. Pete, I did want to pick your brain a little bit about this other big event that happened this week, which was quite stunning, really, uh, was, was the Senate approving this major expansion of veterans' health care and disability benefits at this time of big polarization. They actually got something done here that's quite significant, and in the budget world, really significant, but because we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars here, and a new way of, of financing a lot of this veterans' health care funding in the federal budget. This is one of those things that it's not going to get widely covered because people would much rather focus on the on the really big controversies out there, you know, the the things that really divide us, you know, and and this is one thing where the Senate and and the House really did come together on a really the biggest expansion of benefits for veterans and you know maybe since the GI Bill, it's a really big deal, and you know it's um, if you were a veteran and you got sick and you were in one of these war zones. Uh, and there are these toxic burn pits and, and that you had to, you know, you, you came down with an illness from, you know, including rare cancers, you know, you had to go and make your case to the VA that you got sick because of your, your military service. Now it's just presumed and you don't have to make that case anymore. So it really opens the door to, to what's essentially created a new entitlement for these veterans, which, you know, many would argue is long overdue. We made these promises and, and they had to be kept. We should say, though, it, it's not a law yet. It still has to uh, come back to the House, and, and uh, Biden still has to sign something. Yeah, it'll yeah. pass the House next week and be signed by Biden probably by the end of next week. And, uh, you know, give them a nice, good, you know, political win, a win for the veterans, obviously, too, by the by uh, 4th of July recess. It'll be a nice kind of, you know, 4th of July barbecue uh, talking point. But, you know, in any case, it is a really big deal, and it's essentially a new entitlement, close to $300 billion over a decade. Uh, over the first decade, according to the, the Congressional Budget Office. And um, there's some controversy about how it's going to affect, you know, whether it's truly a new entitlement or whether the appropriators are going to have oversight and, and control over over spending that money. I think there's a difference of opinion between the Capitol Hill and the CBO about how that program really is supposed to work. And so the CBO thinks that, well, a lot of this money is is already being spent for similar purposes. So it's just going to get kind of all mixed together and go out, go out the door automatically. But CBO also says that the appropriations committee is going to have to essentially approve that money every year, but it just won't count towards the discretionary spending cap. So. But that's a big deal. (laughs) That's a big deal though. It doesn't count toward the discretionary spending cap. But we don't know. We don't know. There's a difference of opinion between the Hill and the CBO on that. And and at the end of the day, the appropriators are moving ahead under the assumption that it's not, that most of the money, that only the new money will be kind of this new entitlement, um, which again, they'll have to still have to approve it every year as part of the appropriations process, but it just won't be, um, it won't be considered disc- discretionary. Which is still a big deal. I mean- because that's a lot of money that they otherwise would have to squeeze into these into these uh, spending right. limits. Right. So, yeah, the idea was that the appropriators were not going to have to squeeze a giant new entitlement into their own spending caps. And so they're not going to do that. So from that standpoint, it's kind of status quo. There was this whole argument about the other part of the CBO estimate, which is that about one-fifth of, of existing VA healthcare spending is now going to be kind of outside, move outside the budget caps as well. And that's kind of where the dispute lies. That's in the CBO score. But nobody on Capitol Hill is really operating under the assumption that, well, you know, we don't have to budget for that for 
those existing costs anymore. So we'll just see what happens with that. You know, people argue over, over CBO scores, but you know, most of the time they don't really affect real people <laughs> on the ground. And it, it's not, it, so far it's not affecting the appropriations process, but you know, they did save the appropriators from having a budget for all those new costs of these, of this new presumption, presumption that the veterans got sick uh, as a result of their military service. So that, that cost is not going to get have to, right to your point, have to get squeezed into the discretionary spending caps. That's right. Because it is a lot of money we're talking about. Yeah. But, you know, think about it also think about the, the trillions of dollars that have flown out the door over the last two, three years, you know, five trillion sure, dollars. For the pandemic, for, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're at the point now, you know, we're, fate, we're, we're getting to a point now where people are talking about recession. And when people start talking about a recession, you start to lose a big chunk of the, of the budget. You start lose. You start having a big drop off in tax receipts. You start having a big run up in automatic spending for things like in, uh, unemployment benefits and food stamps. Forget about anything Congress may or may not do, and they're probably not going to do a whole lot over the next couple of years. We're not looking at a whole bunch of more relief packages. Let's put it that way, especially if the Republicans take over. So you know, we've had a big windfall because the economy has has really exceeded expectations over the last year or so and partly due to the relief packages so you know the cbo estimates we've talked about this before the economic factors can easily swamp you know i mean you could see the next cbo uh, baseline come out and this 300 billion from this new va entitlement could be just a blip on the radar it won't it may not even register because we're talking remember we're talking about like $50 trillion in, in government spending over the next 10 years. So this $300 billion that's being added onto the books now, we may not even recognize that a year from now with, huh. when, the, you know, when the next CBO baseline comes out. So you know, we should just keep that in mind. But this was a big win. And the Democrats are, you could kind of quiet, are quietly coming together on some other things. There could be some pretty, pretty big surprising wins, I think. Reconciliation, the so-called build back better, maybe build back smaller. You know, that seems to be bubbling back to life. Nancy Pelosi said yesterday, it's alive. (laughs) So those talks are happening. That could be a pretty big win. The China competition bill, the so-called USICA bill is getting, you know, also in slimmer fashion is got some life to it. These are things that the Democrats are pointing to as something that could really help with this inflation problem by easing up the supply chain bottlenecks and building more domestic semiconductor capacity, which will do things like reduce the price of, of new cars and by extension, used cars. So, you know, things are happening. The appropriations process may stall out. And by the way, it may, one of the reasons, another reason it could stall out is because Republicans see the build back smaller coming back to life. And so, you know, they're not too happy about that. So why are they going to come to the table on another big, big spending package at this point? A lot of balls in the air. Yeah. A lot of balls in the air. And Democrats yeah. are still hoping to come up with a few wins before their uh, reelection campaign. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Now, it may be too late for them, but they're, you know, they could put a few wins on the board here. And you know, even if we do end up in a CR where a lot of their priorities won't get funded, but at least they'll be able to, you know, They'll have these votes in the House and they'll see all the earmarks in there and a lot of press releases can go out. And, um, you know, the House Democrats who vote for these bills can say help is on the way, even if ultimately it, it doesn't happen until after the election when it may be too late for some of them. But still, you know, these things, things are happening and um, it's important for the to, to, you know, the House 
always views passing the appropriations bills as their duty. Even if they know they're not realistic at this point, they, they view it as their responsibility. They see the Senate just taking a flyer and not bringing spending bills to the floor because they don't want to get bogged down in amendments. The House can control that process with the Rules Committee. They can limit amendments if needed, and they're able to do, to do this. And you know, Steny Hoyer, the Majority Leader, has a long you know longtime member of the Appropriations Committee. He sees it as the House's constitutional duty to pass these bills. And so you know, that's what the House is going to do, even though everybody kind of it's kind of the you know un, unspoken secret at this point that uh, you know, they know those bills are going to have to get rewritten anyway, but they're going to do it. And we will follow that process very closely. But that's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Pete, for joining me again. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.